Welcome to my Latinx life. Join me as I journey to learn, educate, and highlight Latinx leaders in a comfortable setting similar to your mom's kitchen. We'll explore a variety of topics with guest and reoccurring host. I'm your host, Joe Redondo, and this is my Latinx life. Right now, but then being able to use that knowledge and exercise it within the organization and launch a project that told the stories of inclusion globally. That was awesome. I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's, it's how I finally connect that knowledge to the practice. And for me, knowledge is great, but it's limited. I think that yeah. knowledge is not any more power. Practice is power. And so you really need to have that practice because I can know a lot of things and now you will know a lot of things. But if you don't practice things, it doesn't matter. That is so true. That's a, yeah. Yeah, I think that takes back to that uh, poster that so many of us saw in school that said knowledge is power. Um, And I think you elaborated on that. It is power, but the power really lies in how you put it into practice and action every day. And I think that just loops in your whole business model and who Venus, like your whole life model and who I know Venus to be is that you have to practice this work in your everyday life or it's just taking up space. It's not really doing anything. So you alluded to your husband. Um, and you also said you have some children, correct? How many kids do you have? Do you mind sharing if that's totally? Yeah, I have two, two, two little kids, ones, um, and a husband. And we all have lives. Clearly, like we don't think Venus is just working twenty four seven. Even though she probably is working a very lot of that, I guess, um, because you own your own business and you have to build your own work and you need to pay the bills because that's how capitalism works. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But how do you manage those types of relationships with your husband, with your children? Um, you said you have siblings and family, and you still have family back in Colombia, correct? Or yes, mm-hmm. yeah. How do you manage those everyday relationships also, and how do you bring some of your work into those relationships? Yeah, um, I, I think that I, I have been lucky, really, really lucky to have a, a power, a clarity at some point in my life mm-hmm. and very, very young. And, and I said to myself, who do I want to have as my partner? And I say, someone who treats me um, with respect, who loves learning and um, and see me 50-50, you know, like it's, it's like yeah. this, this this relationship. Um, and, and I'd say that it might seem kind of like, well, that's what everybody wants. Well, yes, but that's not what many times we believe we can achieve. Mm-hmm. And, and coming from a society in, in Latin America where you don't have that, yes, you, you men usually have 80% of the relationship, you had 20% and you're just lucky to have that 20%. For me, it, it was like pretty kind of bold goal to have that type of relationship. Um, and so when I have that clarity, I think if I, I attracted that in, yeah. in, in meeting my husband, who I would say is a feminist. It's, it's someone who supports me, who um, is always seeing the, the impact or, or just seeing the possibility and the potential that I can sometimes don't see myself. And, and, and not just having that, but also being the rock of my family in terms of his he, deeply value family. And so he supports me with really taking care of the children while I work full time. And so he is there with them. And, and having that as a, as a mom and as a business owner, it's that that's very important. And for women that don't have that, it's very difficult. And I understand the barriers. Even with all of that, you know, we have to try to manage the family relationships that is difficult because he has to work and you know he still works and so when he's gone I could be really exhausted you know from like you said 24 7 type of work 
And I still had to show up for my kids because life is all about showing up. Mm -hmm. And so my kids might be like, let's go to the park. You know, like, oh my God, just want to crawl in the couch and sit there and do nothing. But I I can sense within me. And I think we have that that power of, we have a strength within ourselves. And I say, I'm going to push myself. Even when my body's aching and I can't do it, I'm just going to push myself and get to, you know, get to the park because the kids need that. You're you're in function of supporting them. And so I try to balance. I I would say it's difficult sometimes, but I am very fortunate to have a a husband that that balances a lot of the workload. It's not just me doing it all. Uh, We, I feel like we kind of in a very organic way uh, support each other. You know, it's not like we set rules like Mm -hmm. this is how you, you know, this is what you're in charge of and I'm in charge of these and this is how much time. Like we don't live our lives like that. It's very organic. Like if I see him doing something and I have the time, I'm going to come and pick it up and finish it. You know, I, I love that yeah. simple thing as he might be cleaning the dishes and then he goes and that something else. I'll just come in and finish it up. And, the, and then this is it, you know? And so we kind of connect with that. And then the other aspect that that's the relationship, you know, with my husband and that support and, and we read to each other. And so that's fine. Like we get to learn together. And then with my kids, I get to teach them everything that I know um, about the brain. And I love that. I really love that they get to kind of understand how their own brain works and use it in their behavior. Yeah. So I talked to them about, recently I was talking to my four-year-old about, you know, thoughts are just thoughts. You, you don't have to act on all of them. And that's important because, you know, mm-hmm. at this point, what's really fascinating for me is he hasn't gotten a filter yet. They have some filter at some point where they stop telling you what they think. Yeah. And so right now he's like, yeah, I feel like pushing this. I feel like, you know, it's something that you're like, okay, yeah, that's not what you need to do. But I don't go there. And I said, well, that's interesting. That's what you're thinking. Like, where does that come from? And what, you know, do you need to act on it? And what's the consequence? And so I, I bring all yeah. this in and I tell them like you know where, where is your brain i use uh, daniel siegel's model of the brain to teach them about how um, the brain you know when they're angry they're upset is because their flip is up and they maybe lack food they need you know type of, they need to figure out what they need so the flip goes down and they can be more incoherent and they can be using their prefrontal cortex to be more logical and so i teach all these things to them so they understand that they have control in how they show up that the world just doesn't happen to them and, and and i think that that's um something that i feel very grateful to be able to to communicate and explain to them i still say this is an experiment that's what parenting is about so we'll see how the experiment comes out yeah. at the end of the day. Do you feel like that was different than the way that you were brought up, specifically like in Latin American culture and in Latino culture of uh, understanding how the brain works rather than the model of I said so, so you do it? Personally, that's how we kind of grew up. My mom and dad were. They were very loving and like because they had us, they had me young. We were learning together, but they also lived by the because I said so kind of model. Like that was the end of it. Like there was no other choice. Like it was what I said. So that's what we're going to do. Do you feel like that's different from the way that you were raised? Or do you feel, did your parents also raise you in a kind of similar way that you do with your children? Yeah, no, I I was raised just like you were raised. (laughs) And um, it was like, this is it. And don't ask, don't ask questions, sit down and get it done. And, And I think that what makes it hard is that because you don't have a model to go from, yes, Mm -hmm. I never saw this done. I am just creating it. 
And so you don't know if you're right or wrong. You're like, oh my God, I'm just figuring this out. And I, and I think that that's what parenting, um, what, what, what parenting is about is being creative. The easiest thing to do is to go, okay, sit down, be quiet, don't ask, you know, and, and, and just listen and obey and conform. But the much more difficult to, thing to do is to say, well, tell me who you are. How do you think? And, and shape yeah. that thinking from a place of inquiry. And, and instead yeah. of like uh, demanding and asking, you know, the person to to conform and so i think that by creating more of um critical and analytical thinkers you're going to have a different type of child you're going to mold them into somebody else and I, I i didn't grow up like that so it makes it difficult and i tell them to my own kids like i struggle i i tell them about the vulnerability like you know i you upset me and this is how i i my brain say i should just do this but then i have to tell my brain yep. no i can't do that i need to manage and regulate my emotions I need to calm down so I can respond to you differently. So I, I try to model that the same things that I ask from them. So it's not like just me telling them, but if they can see it, uh, that it's also a struggle, that it's something that I'm learning. And, and I remember thinking, you know, when you grow up, like, they're like, parents know everything. Yes, it's like what they used to tell, like, just gonna just listen because we know better than you. And the reality is that yeah. because the power of uh, information, no, we don't know everything. And coming to, we have to be quite humble actually now as a parent and say, um, I'm just figuring it out, you know, be patient with me as I'm trying to be patient with you, which is quite difficult sometimes. I think that was a lesson I'd learned in my teenage years is that I was like, I don't think my parents know everything. And they were like, we're learning things also. Like, and I think that was a realistic realization that I came to because like, I recognized like my parents were not that much older than me. They were teenagers when they had me. I remember being at like both of my parents' 30th birthday parties. I remember being there for those things. Like, and I think about that, I'm like, they were learning. And now that that, like I'm older and we're able to have those type of like that kind of relationship they're like we were totally figuring that shit out too our parents raised us in a we ra- we were raising you the way that we knew while also having to learn ourselves to let you fail and allow you to do what you wanted to do because that's where you were learning who you were as a human being I think that that was something that I'm very lucky because I know that there's lots of my especially like my Latino friends that like that was not a model like it's always just been you fall into the the customary roles of like mom and dad your parents know you best you do what you're told there's this whole familial piece to it which is important I'll never give up the familial piece like my family is my family like as much as they irritate the living hell out of me sometimes like they're my family and I'm gonna do what I need to for them and they're always gonna come first but then there was times where I had to learn like sometimes family can be toxic and sometimes you have to say I am not doing that and I'm gonna step away from the situation Um, so I think it's beautiful that you're kind of doing that with your kids at a very young age and you're talking to them about science and educating them the best way that you can and that you recognize like hey you're figuring out on your own also I I think like you know as a parent um, I I very focus on decision making for me life is about decisions you know and they seem so like sometimes decisions come to you in a way that is so subtle that you don't know the decision you're making is going to change the course of your life and so I talk to them a lot about the decisions that I have made and the decisions that they will be put to make and then ask them to analyze the level of risk because I think that sometimes we're you know we're raised to not make risk yes like no be cuidado no no te suas don't don't do these you know sit down like is that constant like don't take any risk is, is the message that, that we're taught and so we're afraid to take risk and so naturally we're like oh yeah no we're not supposed to take any of that and I think that is the opposite is like how do you learn to take manage a uh, managed risk in life and 
so by saying okay well if you're making that decision what's the risk level that you're you're confronting you know is it a I could die or is it like I might get hurt or is it like no it's all good just kind of think about in that in that kind of framework I try to put it for like a little and so to try to put it in that framework so they can make decisions despite me sweating while they're making their decision yeah and being stressed um, but it still allowed them to make the decision and know that they're confronting a risk and they're in their and they're gonna assume that consequence a hundred percent the whole risk thing I think about um, when I moved from Texas to the Pacific Northwest and I don't know this may be similar from you when you move from Columbia to I don't know why Idaho but clearly it was for school so I will allow that to happen um, but yeah you move to the United States I think about you know my little sister she's moving from Texas to Arizona so I'm the oldest she's the baby um, and then there's two more in between us and my mom's like I just don't know how things are going and I, how she's gonna do it I'm like she has a boy well she has a fiance they got engaged so congratulations to my sister they got engaged and they have two yeah. kids they're just mo- I was just like they're moving to Arizona it's two states over they're going for a year and I was like if they don't like it they can go back like you're forgetting like she has a like it's not like she's dying and going off to the other side of the world or moving across the world and with no return plan and I was like they have a plan they'll be back in a year they're both young who knows where they're gonna go and I was like also like I come back every so often it's not like they're just never gonna see you again but my mom has that I want all my kids here kind of mentality and I'm like she'll it's gonna be fine mom also you have two other kids and four grandchildren that will still be near you so you'll be fine and I think that she's learning in her own way about the risk of people moving away and I think that it helped that I moved across the country and now she's like well you did it I guess she'll be okay I was like she's gonna be fine and I think that that's really a great point that you make is like having to let people take those risks and understand what what I call in my work and a large part of my job is the risk management piece of the work of like what kind of impact is this gonna have what is the risk assessment like is somebody's life gonna be in danger or is a light just not gonna turn on like there's gonna there's a different type of risk assessment that you have to do I think that's but I to your mom's defense, I would say it's very difficult to to just have your children away from you. I feel like it's like having a leg in another state. It's like another part of your body is leaving you. And it's just so, uh, I would say so, yeah, deep. It's so difficult. I can I can totally see it. And, I, and this is silly, but I did watch, you know, that um, uh, Emily in Paris <laughs> team oh, yeah. program. And I, I thought about it as I was watching. I was like, what if my daughter grows up and wants to go to Paris? Yeah, that will be painful. But yeah, that will be really cool for her, you know? And, and I try to prepare myself for like, that could be her life, you know? Like, I'm going to stay in Paris and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to miss you so much. But that's part of growing up. But it, it's like, nevertheless, it has pain involved. Yeah, it hurts. And that's what I told her. I was like, you're allowed to be sad. Like, no, but like, I get it. She's your kid. Like, my sister and my mom have never really lived farther than maybe like a mile from each other for long periods of time. They see each other pretty much on an everyday. And we, my sister, and me both talk to my mom pretty much every day. And I think she just is worried about that whole piece. And I agree. I mean, she's allowed to be upset, like worried. And I think that that's important. But I always remind her, I was like, look, I'm happy. I made it work. I always tell you, like, if I'm unhappy, I'm gonna come home. Like home is home. Like no matter what it is, like where your mom is, is where your mom is. And you're gonna want to be there. Uh, And I was like, she'll come home. Like she has grandkids. She has two of your grandkids. Like she's gonna want them to know their family. We know, like you raised us to be that type of people that will want to be around family we want to see people and things like that so um thank you for that so hopefully i think my mom she says she listens i don't know if she actually does but she says she listens <laughs> we'll, um, we'll do a test we'll do a <laughs> test so mom if you hear this you have to tell me that you heard this um 
This is the real test. Um, so now we'll start transitioning into the, the final questions and start talking about as we start to wrap up today. What regrets have you learned from on your path to here? What is is there a regret that you look back on and you say, I learned from that and that one made me who I am today? I would say I find this one difficult and in and it's um I think that by being formed in a way that work has been centered to who I am. I sometimes give a lot of energy to work and neglect like that family connection. And I think that um, I remember when my sister uh, died, I remember just crying and feeling like I can't believe I didn't come home because she was calling me and saying, come home, come and meet up with me. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm busy. I I had to, you know, I was working full time. I was going to school full time and I had so much going on that I was like, I I can't. I'll come, you know, until the following week or something. And and when I came back, she was dead. And so I I think that was, that was difficult. And and I still feel like sometimes I fall into that. Like I forget, you know, the that those things are more important. And so I might get a priority to do this work and this identity around work. It's 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 sometimes weights heavier on me than than the, just the simple connecting. Like okay, let's just meet up and get priority to that and I think I still struggle with that sometimes despite having had such a painful um, reminder of like regretting not to make the decision to come and see her not knowing obviously that she was going to be killed yeah. um, and, and so I still find that difficult I I, I think it's a learning for me and so um, that that's that's the only thing that I that I think about in terms of regret of, of not showing up not being there um, for my family or for my sister Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sure that wasn't easy. Um, I don't know if you've shared that with other people. If you haven't, thank you for sharing it here. Uh, I haven't. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I think that that's really important is we have to remember that those those personal relationships and they can't always take priority. That's a realistic expectation. Like you still have to live your own life. You still have to pay the bills. You still have to take care of your family. But I think that you're very realistic. Like that is something that you have to learn to prioritize. Like it has to be on that list of things that are important because you know you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I think of anything, the pandemic has shown us that. We've learned that everybody everybody in our life may not be here tomorrow. Um, Mm -hmm. And we may not always be able to spend those last moments with people because, yeah, that was a big thing during the pandemic. A lot of people did not get to spend those final moments of their lives with anybody. And I think that that's a really important thing to say is like, you want to look back on your life and say, I had these moments with people in my life that I cared about. I I would say, you know, one of the things that as I process the grief, you know, it's been a life journey for me of this processing the grief one of the things that I learned you know I would say the biggest learning from that experience is that uh, it's based on this book it's called the handbook recovery grief the 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 grief handbook recovery I'm sorry and in in this book talks about the relationships require communication and what sometimes is very difficult for us to to process is the lack of closing of that relationship is is that that abrupt closure in some way of that 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 relationship in a way that doesn't allow us to communicate you know how much we love that person or who that person you know or how do we feel about you know that relationship and, and I see that in many different settings within organizations where where people may have a difference of opinion or a rupture in the relationship with a co-worker and they stop talking to each other and they never come back and they carry that with them that yeah. that lack of closure of communication in that relationship and so for me 
I think that knowing that that could happen and it's something that it's selling for me that maybe I won't be able to. And so putting in an effort into like, let's make sure that I I communicate and I say how much I love that person because yeah, I don't know if I'm going to see them again or, or let's try to repair that relationship. Even if we don't continue to be friends, let's just at least close it in some way. Uh, so I don't want to leave, you know, I don't have to live with these. There's like a closure of the relationship with that communication. Yeah, thank you. That's a great point. So I will end on this beautiful question. Um, it's one of the questions I like to ask my uh, my guests. If there was one relationship um, that you can look back on that you would like to change either for the better because they were, they're still in your life or maybe not in your life. Um, is there somebody that you have a relationship that you wish you could have changed or been there more? Or I guess, yeah, wish you could have changed in some way. I, I can say there's my sister. I, yeah. I wish I was, you know, and and, and I, I come to all of the, you know, I couldn't have been that adult that I wanted to be. And yeah. I think that people who struggle with grief, many times we struggle with, I wish I had known this. I wish I had done this. And, yeah. and it's that guilt. But the reality is that, oh, I was a kid just like her. And um, if I had known that my time with her was limited, you know, obviously I would have maybe been more there for her. And and I wish I could have changed the, you know, the way her life, you know, ended. And, and it's not something I can change, but just uh, maybe given more, being able to communicate how much love I have for her. I think that that is, is what I would have changed because I didn't necessarily grow up, you know, uh, saying I love you. That's, that's something I grew up saying. And so having that loss and not being able to have said that, um, it was difficult. I, I, I did say it um, a few times, but I don't think I, when I said it, I really like meant it. And it was my dad would do these exercises in which he would like put us as a family, come together and let's, let's, uh, let's love each other and talk about how much we love each other. And we were teenagers and we we're like, oh my God, like this is so crazy. So lame, like really, like are we going to do this? And we didn't take it serious. But I remember that those are the only times I told her I love her. And it was those times when my dad created that experience. And so I, I wish I had had that part of my life more and I would have communicated that before she, she passed. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you want the listeners to know that maybe we didn't cover? Or is there anything that you are currently working on that you want to tell the listeners to go listen to or that to go look at or to be a part of? Um, this is your moment to tell us anything else you want us to know or plug anything that you want uh, you want to plug. Um, yeah, so, well, thank you. First of all, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's very, as always, it's fun to connect with you. You're so much fun and I love you know just talking hanging out I would say one of the things that I'm very proud of that I'm actually working with a healthcare organization so I love that the work that I do has an impact in people's life when they're the most vulnerable yes when they come to the doctor and one of the things that I'm working on is unrolling out across this organization a dialogue series and we get to talk about uh, four different topics um, one of them is um, focus on um, women specifically as a construct, the gender construct. And so that includes transgender women and the experience that they have in the workplace and in healthcare, you know, and how it impacts their access to healthcare. Uh, the other topic that we're connecting is uh, the LGBTQ community and understanding the experience that they have at work and the experience also in healthcare. The third one is disability. And I think that that's a topic that there is uh, sometimes lack of visibility, yeah, and attention in organizations as they, as they drive this work. Um, and then the last one is race. And we do this because we want to 
help people connect the experiences and the level of systemic discrimination that, for instance, a black, queer, disabled woman may experience as a result of all these uh, levels of discrimination of the system, yes? And so one of the things that we're doing is rolling out these dialogues. It's a dialogue series. Employees go through these dialogues and, and they get to connect these. And more importantly, they get to put a face uh, to, to these concepts, yes? They get to understand that a co-worker might be experiencing that. And it connects them in a way that builds bonds within the organization. And, and I really love that. Those, those are some of the things that I'm hearing from the people that are participating in the dialogues is that it empowers them to to uh, to share their story and to learn in a different way that is not like a top-down, let me tell you what you need to know, but it's more like an organic, like let's connect through knowledge and through experience and stories. And one of the things that I, I heard from someone recently who participated in that, like, the dialogues was that I was afraid to come in and talk about these, but that was the point that I didn't know everything and it was okay that I came in to learn. And so what I'm building is really a community across organizations in which people get to connect and understand this at a deeper level so they can um, not just have empathy, but compassion. Because uh, as um, Jeff Wiener said, compassion is empathy plus action. And so I don't want you just to empathize with my story. I want you to act differently. I want you to support me and support those who experience uh, inequities. So that's those, those are some of the things that I'm doing that I'm very, uh, that I'm very excited and and and, and, and I love to to have uh, been able to do the same in more organizations that they get to create these connections and build the culture from that from that perspective. Great. Um, and you work with big companies um, like Microsoft and big healthcare organizations, and you also work with some smaller companies and smaller community groups and things like that, don't you? Yes. So I work with nonprofits as well, and I and I love that for me the job is to really set up a roadmap, a process that they can drive themselves. I I don't. You know, I don't want our team to be the ones who drive the work all the way, you know, because they have to own it as an organization. So I, I work with ventures. I have work. I work with Providence. I work with Amazon. Um, you know, I work with different organizations. And my job is really to set up this process as a, as a team. And so, you know, I, I love bringing, I think that um, a multidisciplinary team to the problem. One of the things that I think uh, sometimes people don't know of the work that we do is we do uh, assessments, we do statistics, we do research and bring those insights into the work yeah. and and i think that that's a different way of kind of going about doing this work and and that's why so we get hired sometimes just because we bring more of a scientific lens to the work yeah that's one of the things that were really uh, a selling point for us at the organization is like oh it's a multidisciplinary team that is not just um for lack of better words is not just here to talk about our feelings and things like that you were bringing the science and things like that so it made it feel more comfortable whenever we wanted to reach into the space um so how can people find you find the company um do y'all have a website instagram twitter facebook how how do people find uh venus and find neuroshift so that they can hire you to come into their organizations and groups to help make change yeah thank you we do have a website um, neuralchips.com and instagram twitter um but mostly i can say a lot of our work comes from worth of mouth yeah. People had seen at work and, and they talk about it and they shared with their, you know, with their friends. And so, you know, I would say if you want to learn more about how do we approach this work, feel free to email us info at neuralchips.com and, and reach out because we're here to serve. So thank you to all my listeners today. And thank you to, to Venus for joining me on to 
today's episode of My Latinx Life. All the links and various topics that we talked about, also information to NeuroShift um, will be in the show notes as well as on the Instagram and Twitter whenever we start posting for the show. And other than that, I will see y'all on the next episode of My Latinx Life. Thank y'all. Thanks, Benus. Thank you. Remember, follow us on Instagram and Twitter for updates on the show and like and share with your friends, with your families, with your coworkers, because we love to have people here listening and leave us a good rating on whatever platform you're listening on today. Thanks.